listening to the CIPD podcast series. Welcome to this month's podcast. I'm Philippa Lamb. This time, we're looking at the relationship between organisational development and HR, how they fit together and what sort of skill sets and behaviours lead to really outstanding OD practice. We'll be hearing the inside track from specialists in the field at the Civil Aviation Authority, Stoke-on-Trent City Council and the CIPD's Leadership and OD Consultancy Bridge. First, though, just to clarify the rather ambiguous term OD, I asked Ed Griffin, former CIPD advisor and development partner at OD Consultancy D3 Partners, for a definition of organisational development. And as it turns out, he finds it simpler to use a different phrase altogether. Well, the phrase we're starting to use is actually just total business management because what we found is that people get so confused about those two letters OD that for some people it means organisational design, some people are talking about organisational effectiveness, sometimes people are talking about training and development activities. I actually think that organisation development is about contributing to the sustained success of the organisation through the involvement of the people in that organisation at all levels. That's simply how I see it. In practical terms, I think that means you involve all levels of the organisation wherever you can in developing strategy and in implementing strategy. So it's about genuine employee engagement rather than, say, just having a staff survey. For another take on OD, I asked Lee Sears, director at OD Consultancy Bridge. For me, OD, I think it's quite... It's a relatively simple definition. It's about the ability of... Um, a function to support an organisation to be successful now and in the future. So I think the, you know, there's a clue in the term, kind of organisational development. Um, how do you help the organisation to be alert to the reality of what's really going on in the business at the moment and find a way of continuing to adapt and change? Given such a broad brief, OD has an incredibly wide ambit, which I think it can only really make sense of itself if it's able to run that intelligent commentary on what is this organisation like at any given time and actually what are the real issues here that we have to face into if we're going to support this organisation to be successful. So both Ed and Lee agree that OD is at least partly about having a clear perspective of the entire organisation. But what immediately strikes me is the similarity between the descriptions of this role and that of senior management. Isn't it their job to oversee the entire organisation and work towards that longer-term vision? Here's Ed Griffin. I think for me the critical thing is, very often as line managers, what happens is we get very focused on day-to-day tasks. We get a very operational focus. Um, Often organisations and managers complain about being siloed and actually not being able to see the bigger picture of how the different activities in different areas of the organisation, the different work people are doing, actually joins up overall to contribute to sustained success for the organisation. So I think... The real difference from day-to-day management is actually day-to-day. Management does tend to be that much shorter-term focus rather than a longer-term, bigger-picture view of the organisation and its success. For Lee Sears, it's the understanding of and the focus on people combined with the business agenda that gives the OD team its unique insight and impact. They understand the dynamics of how people in organisations work successfully. So what is it about the, you know, the kind of interplay between the sort of hard and the soft factors of business? And I think that's the kind of unique territory for OD. They're able to say, well, 
with these people in this business at this stage in its evolution, this is what it's actually going to take in order for it to be successful. Um, and I think quite often you get business managers who look at the organisation as a, you know, in a very rational way, numbers and units of kind of clear, observable meaning, and OD often find a way of, of helping to link the people and cultural agenda with the, with the business agenda. Sound familiar? A secondary debate when it comes to placing OD is about the relationship between OD and HR itself. Is OD separate? Should it sit within HR? Or is HR itself a subset of OD? Here's Lee Sears. The debate about whether OD should be separate from HR or vice versa, I think, is a redundant one. They're very much occupying the same you know, the same territory. And from my point of view, for HR to be a meaningful and valuable function, it has to have OD capabilities and skills and an ability to think and understand the organisation as an OD practitioner would. It has to be at the heart of HR. Similarly, though, for OD to be able to be of any real value, it has to have touch points into, you know, all areas of the business. And, and actually, that's what HR does have. So they have to be a mutually supportive partnership rather than seen as kind of separate entities, to my mind. I asked Ed for his view on this interplay between the practices of HR and OD. The way I would see it is that actually HR offers practices, tools and approaches that OD practitioners can use. And I think very often it's about having an OD mindset. Sometimes it's referred to as systems thinking. I think it is about being curious and interested in the relationship between different parts of an organisation, the relationship between different activities. So it's not unusual in, in a big organisation today that you look at the list of changes and there are 125 different projects on the go, and sometimes it feels like those are disconnected. I think the OD mindset is looking at how do you bring those together. So if OD is a mindset, what sort of person makes a successful OD practitioner? At their heart, I think they're kind of diagnosticians. They're fascinated by the reality of what's actually happening here. And they have a, a full kind of range of, of, you know, diagnostic kind of techniques, if you like, at their disposal. So they're able to, um, I think, to understand really what is it about the, I think, the kind of soft side of an organisation that will support it being successful. And they can use the uh, a kind of deep understanding and insight into that to shape an organisation's agenda and, and often enable them to do the kind of tough stuff well. Now, the CRPD has talked about this in, under the umbrella of savvy, business savvy, organisational savvy and contextual savvy. Can you give me a bit more information yeah. about how that works? Uh, um, in English, I think what that means is understanding the real drivers of value in, in a business. What makes this business work and what makes it make money currently? And I think there's a lot of, a lot of OD practitioners where they... Um, I think they can become disconnected from the businesses if they just don't understand that well enough. So then they can spend too much time talking about the kind of technical sides of OD that you know feel, can feel like a dark art to people. Um, contextual savvy is just having a real understanding of what's going on in the in the broader marketplace and in the broader world and how that's affecting the business. And you know some of the best OD practitioners they act as a, an, a, like an early warning system to the organisation, finding a way of kind of keeping them alert and saying, you know what, I think we're we're just spending too much time focusing on the business that we're already running. If we look at the dynamics of the kind of change that's going on around us, we need to wake ourselves up more. Um, and then the organizational savvy, I think, is the ability to understand the subtleties of the interplay between you know, the issues around leadership, power, culture, and change. And I think that's, that's often the heartland of what OD are known for. But OD only really makes sense when you're trying to change a particular business and understanding the market in which it sits. So that awareness and those skills... 
add up to um, another buzzword, I'm afraid, insight-driven HR, which actually is a phrase I quite like because I, I think I understand, we yeah. can understand what that means, can't we? I think so. It's just being able to run a simple perspective on what matters most to this business. I suppose rather like marketing where in its heritage, marketing used to be very much an activity-driven Discipline. I think OD and HR, similarly, kind of a lot of activities and processes that they've owned. When you actually put insight at the heart of the OD and HR agendas, all of a sudden, rather like with marketing, if you understand your customers intimately, you have real customer insight, your ability to market to them effectively just increases you know, tenfold. I think similarly with, with OD, if you really have an insight into what this organization needs, where the market's going, and what these people will do with it, then you're able to suddenly create a meaningful HR and OD agenda. Whilst it's about being able to see the issues clearly for Lee and Ed, for Richard Atienza-Hawks, OD is about looking to the future and planning how to get there. He's head of OD at Stoke-on-Trent City Council. For me, it's really holding the vision alive of the future of the organisation for its management mainly, uh, but also for its staff. And then saying, given the culture that we currently have, how might we move uh, to that new world? So it's looking at the design of the organisation. Um, it's looking at the architecture in terms of the building layout. It's looking at the language and the stories that are used in the organisation. It's looking at the managerial practices and styles. It's looking at the processes. Um, so it's taking a kind of whole view of the organisation and looking at where it is and, in a sense, creating a pathway to that future. Now, even though OD has been around for some considerable period of time, it's, it's still quite a new concept for a lot of people outside the HR profession. What moved Stoke-on-Trent City Council to appoint you as head of OD? Because I don't think they had an OD person before. They didn't have an OD person and um, Stoke-on-Trent uh, was in about 2006 was in the 10 worst performing councils in the country and it went through an enormous sort of change uh, program where uh, in a sense they had to operate by management by instruction. So we had intervention at the time by the government in terms of our children's services and lots of things were very, very dysfunctional, really not working, very broken at many, many levels. So uh, I was, uh, really came along two years ago to start to look at how we shift that way of operating from control and command to much more empowering uh, staff at the front line to uh, make changes to their services and improve uh, the way in which they operate. What have you been doing? How did you start? I think one of the, the difficulties when I started in Stoke is really knowing where to start because there are so many things that are dysfunctional at so many different levels. But one of the things that I think was really key in the organization is that there had been some huge changes and some huge success. So there were lots of pockets of innovation and creativity, but actually those got really lost um, in amongst all of the kind of inspections and all of the the negative stuff around what's not working in the organization. And so we were looking at ways in which um, staff could be acknowledged and recognized for some of that really great practice and how that might be then shared across the organization. And one of the things that I think has been happening quite slowly is a real interest in appreciative inquiry. This really looks at what's really working in an organization and start to say, well, if, if that's working there, if we were to build on that what, might that, what might be possible? And so we trained 35 staff in appreciative inquiry uh, techniques, 
And from that, we had about 350, just over 350 stories created right across the organization in lots of different teams. For example, one of them was, was around a manager who simply got, at the end of a team meeting, would ask each person to share something that had gone really well for them this week. So on paper, it doesn't kind of feel uh, amazing sort of transformational stuff, but actually was really creating an energy and uh, a kind of continuous learning in that team uh, that wasn't necessarily showing up elsewhere in the organization. How did this go down with people? I think um, it went down really well with frontline staff, and I think senior management were horrified. I can imagine. And I think what sort of made the difference is that when you actually see, it's not just about celebrating and acknowledging and clapping and saying that's fabulous. It's sort of saying, well, why is it fabulous? What's really, really at the root of why it's fabulous? And if we were to replicate that, if we can share that, if we can build that into some building blocks for the future when we're redesigning the organization, then maybe uh, there's something in it. So once they understood that it was a way of requiring usable, hard data yes. in an unthreatening way, yes. then they understood what you were trying to do. Indeed. Richard's biggest challenge was to introduce a complete reversal of prevailing culture to focus on the positive stories as opposed to the stories of failure. This ability is a quality that lies at the heart of successful OD. Lee Sears. The ability to break a complex problem down, to shed a very simple new light on it, and then the ability to align quite sceptical and often quite difficult stakeholders who don't want to hear what you're, <laughs> often what you're talking about, I think sits at the heart of being a good OD person. The best OD practitioners underneath it all, they have essentially what looks like a kind of consulting mindset. This point about approaching the organisation with a consultant's mindset is interesting, and there is an argument to say that it would be easier to outsource OD altogether. I put that to Ed Griffin. I think it depends on what sort of consultant you are. Certainly we've, we've seen in the work we do a lot of internal consultants wanting to shift from a narrow area of expertise. So, for example, I have reward expertise in HR to being able to see how the way in which they might come up with rewards solutions for the business actually relates to other pieces of work, other changes that are currently going on. So there's something about alignment. So I think perhaps the consultant perspective, or thinking like a consultant, is about trying to see more broadly what's happening in the organisation, to see what might be currently unconnected activities and how you actually align those so that you've got a greater force pushing you in the same direction towards that sustained performance. So it's extreme joined-up thinking. Yes, I think that's a good way of putting it, actually. And I think alongside that, uh, which is related to the courage, is about the relationship building. And part of that's about personal credibility. So what kind of business professional or organisational professional are you? So what's your reputation based on? So that actually you've got good grounds to be able to influence people and to be able to influence up and down the hierarchy, so not to be just governed by your particular position on the org chart. You're listening to the CIPD podcast series. Richard Atienza-Hawke's approach has paid off. At Stoke-on-Trent City Council, he quickly began to see results. It was really interesting that we had uh, the, the 35 interviewers going out there and we had a number of managers who said, I don't know what you did to that person in that interview, but they came back on cloud nine and it suddenly emanated around the team and something shifted and they learned something and 
they're now kind of passing that on in the team. So uh, I think the process itself is kind of energizing, and it feels a bit sort of uh, fluffy and woolly, but actually uh, when you look at staff engagement and staff commitment, um, there's some really solid outcomes. Sati Kark heads up OD at a very different organisation. She sees her challenge as being about building a truly change-ready civil aviation authority. The CAA's role is the UK's independent aviation regulator and we safeguard the public interest by overseeing the safety of UK aviation. So for us, we're a very technical organisation, so we have some very technically capable people from aircraft engineering backgrounds, pilots, economists, and, and for us as an organisation, it's very much about ensuring um, passenger safety through aviation. And really for us as an organisation in terms of what's what we're trying to achieve through OD is about making sure we've got the right skills and capability in the business. So we need to be able to uh, understand what any changes in the political landscape mean for us as an organisation and how we can work with those effectively. So you have quite a complex and sophisticated set of objectives with OD, don't you? I mean, beyond the usual day-to-day, we make widgets, let's make them better. How do you set about engendering that in the organisation? How do you actually go about getting people to operate and think in that way? I think one of the things that we do is we, we're, we're curious by nature and so we ask questions and we ask questions of technical people that are very kind of straightforward, you know, why do you do things that way and how, does, how, how do you do this and how do you do that? So whatever that technical question is, we'll, we'll ask. But also we ask about how things are changing for people. Um, so, for example, I worked on a piece around introducing competencies into the organisation um, and then morphing that into a behavioural framework. And the questions that I asked people were questions like, you know, how, have you, how has your role changed over the last, say, three years? And helping them to move forward from that, thinking about how do you anticipate your role might change in the next three years? What are you seeing that's happening that's different now that might then be different in the future? And that's really generated some quite interesting outputs. And, and, and also by the very nature of asking those questions, it's encouraging people to think differently that it's not, it's not steady state. Actually, we are continuously evolving and changing. What does that mean for us? And does it feed into a kind of learning and development agenda as well? Yes, it does. Yes, so part of my remit is learning and development. Uh, very much was course-based, workshop-based, very much now we're looking at much more tailored solutions depending on business requirement. So if there is a requirement for a change in skill set or a new team, that's where we start to get involved much more readily. So you are very much, as I understand it, living the theory that in order to be organizationally successful in its broadest meaning of the word you need to understand the business the context in which the business is operating and what's required from individuals and processes within it in order to move all that forward so it's all those things brought together yeah i think it's all those things and it's also using skills like you know consultancy skills within the organization so it's about having a broad understanding of where the organization is going regardless of which organization it is um, and then trying to link that into well what's really going to make a difference here in terms of whether it's a learning intervention whether it's a workshop whether it's a change management intervention what's really going to make that difference um, and i think sometimes actually when we ourselves categorize ourselves into learning and development or od or hr i'm not sure that's entirely helpful for us um, so how can we expect an organisation to understand where we're playing if that's what we're doing for ourselves? 
it's about making the organisation do what it does yeah. better. Yeah. yeah, and it's also about uh, helping people to understand that I, 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 have, I want to have an insight into what they do and what their challenges are so that I can try and help them meet those challenges. And I think in a nutshell that's what it's about. There's a lot of debate around titles and whether OD is HR or HR is part of OD or what we should all be calling ourselves. Does any of it really matter, do you think? I don't think it does. I think it's really about what we deliver and whether the organisations that we're working in understand what we're delivering um, and it makes a difference. So titles don't actually assist organisations in understanding what OD is, do they? No, people don't understand what head of OD means. So we have to sell the idea of OD in terms of what it achieves for the business. What it achieves, what what I'm actually there to do, I think is important. The CAA is relatively new to embrace OD. Satie's been in the role for just over a year, and she's already turning OD theory into practice. But what about someone who might be thinking about taking on an OD role as a new challenge? Here's some advice from Lee Sears. One of the things that's really interesting, actually, is I think... First and foremost, there's an attitude of mind that people need to have. I think you need to be interested on the, on the interplay between um, a, the success of the organisation and the business and the way in which the human dynamics affect that. You can't just be interested, I think, in the kind of human dynamics and individuals and coaching and team building and all, that, all the kind of sexy stuff in the L&D agenda without wanting to really understand what, what it'll take for this organisation to deliver success. So you need to be interested in both. You can't just be interested in the kind of people stuff. You have to be interested in business as well. Um, I think if you have that as an attitude of mind, then I think in, in many ways getting involved in... There's a lot of, I think, kind of within, within organisations, there's lots of excellent L and OD functions that do some very good development work for people, I think, and they would welcome people from... Um, certainly some of the best OD practitioners have come from the line rather than necessarily having been brought up through the, the kind of HR route. So I think there's a lot of people who come in to the OD world because they've seen that the only way to make business really work is if you get the kind of people and culture agenda to work as well. Meanwhile, Richard Atienza Hawke's efforts have paid off. Last year, Stoke-on-Trent City Council made it into the top 75 Sunday Times best public sector companies. And in internal surveys, 94% of staff felt that they were committed to excellent customer service. But the future in the public sector is looking lean, to put it mildly. So what's his strategy now? With the economic situation and looking forward to the potential cuts in funding to the public sector. We're planning ourselves for our 65 million reduction in budget over the next three years. And I think one of the things for us is is that we had lots of staff saying, well, why are we doing this when we're going to be cutting everything and uh, stopping all of these services? And I think the challenge for us in the public sector is to still deliver excellent customer services, excellent services, um, but with with, uh, less So it's looking at how do we create those efficiencies? How do we um, move the organization so that we're delivering against higher expectations of the public in terms of what they expect from a local authority, but for a lot less money? And I think what the Building on the Best has enabled us to do is to identify some things that we would want to conserve So in the redesign of our services going into this future, at least we've got some things that we know really work, and and they're not very expensive, lots of them. These are very simple, very grounded, uh, practical things that managers can do and staff can do that really make the difference in terms of staff engagement and satisfaction levels of the customers.
That's all for now, but do check out the show notes as ever with lots more information at cipd.co.uk slash podcasts. Do you agree with our guests? What do you think about how HR and OD sit in relation to one another? CIPD members can share their own views and experiences in the CIPD's online communities. There's a link in the show notes, and if you'd really like to get your teeth into the subject, why not book a seat at our OD conference? It's on September 29th. You'll find the link at cipd.co.uk slash conferences. Join us again next month. We'll be looking at building HR capability. Until then, goodbye. You've been listening to the CIPD podcast series.